0: Welcome to Think Global, a podcast for globally-minded disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We're glad you're here.
1: Welcome to the Think Global podcast for the very first time. That is pretty cool. and You know, I'm just going to tell you, Brandon, like this is Phil Dark. I'm your host. Uh, With me is Brandon Stiver, co-host. And this is a new dawn, a new day, a new beginning um, of a great story. I just look at it like a new chapter to such a cool story. Brandon, how are you feeling about all this, man?
0: I'm doing good, man. It, it, as you said, a new dawn, a new day, a new light, and I'm feeling good, right? Is that yeah? Is that I know that I
1: was gonna go there, but <laughs> I thought I'd let you do it. I thought I'm, I'd, I'm, I feeling you would... I'm feeling good.
0: I'm feeling good, and it is it is a new uh, day. So, uh, this is uh, the Think Global podcast, and uh, I'm 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 feeling good, as you said, and uh, excited for this conversation and many other conversations. You know, God is always. Uh, bringing us forward calling us into new spaces and uh i'm i'm grateful to walk into this new space with my friend phil so i'm doing good though how you been man
1: Ah, good man it's cool it's cool i I love you know it's funny because like i said i mean i I do it feels like this is obviously part of part of a great story and a tradition and and a legacy um But it does it feels it's a new beginning it's a it's a new beginning which is cool and it's 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 a lot of we'll have a lot of similar conversations but i think the conversations will just have a little different angle um for the people who have been faithful think orphan listeners i think you'll be like hey we're not it's not missing a beat um but at the same time i think a lot if you're a new listener and this is something that's that's piquing your interest Go back and listen to the Think Orphan episodes, because no doubt they will be very relevant and, and interesting to you. And they're phenomenal people. And move forward with us and help us understand, you know, help us know how we can help you more. So that's always our heart. And that, that will never change. Right. Um, but I think just a little bit of the scope, you know, but even that is going to be similar, um, but just a little, little different. So it's cool. I think, like I said, a new mm-hmm. chapter. Just a new a new road we're going down, and I'm excited. I'm excited, stoked on it. Had a lot of, you know, we just coming off of Christmas. Had a great Christmas with family, but it was also a weird one. Um, if you're out there, you're praying, no doubt. Un- unfortunately, it will still be an issue at that time. My dad did have a stroke, um, and uh, that was not planned. Obviously, right before Christmas. Praise God that he was at my house when it happened and we were able to get him to the hospital quick enough and he's on the road to recovery but it's going to be a long road so that's going to be a yeah. you know it's a different thing man aging parents is tough my aging body is tough for that matter but um but aging parents is is a tough a tough road to hoe. but at the yeah. same time God's in it and he's he's working in awesome ways so that's kind of the big the big thing in my yeah. in my world right now you know
0: yeah, well, I would definitely be praying. I know my mom had a stroke a couple of years back, and that's just a scary, scary thing. But God is faithful uh, in the midst of it. Uh, no no big updates on, on my end, uh, per se. I, I feel like uh, as we wrapped up Think Orphan, I, I gave plenty of a personal update. Uh, <laughs> Um, But uh, I'm really excited because uh, it is Think Global. It is a new day. It's a new year. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Um, And we have a great interview today with somebody that has spoken into my life. You know, as we look at global vulnerabilities uh, on this show, um, it's good to start with an educator. So we we have uh, one of the best out there, Dr. Michael Pucci, joining us. Um, he is the president of uh, of transformation initiatives, and uh, he taught within my own grad program, so I know him personally. Vouch for him, and the, you know, it's he's one of those people, and I allude to this a little bit in the show. But so we have people that uh, have theories, and we have people that are really kind of. Um, uh, put things to practice. He does both of those things, but he does it with such an integrous ethic uh, is what I would say. And uh, that's exactly the kind of person that we want to have in these conversations. And uh, we're going to be talking about poverty. Uh, We're going to be talking about the body of Christ. And uh, I'm just really excited for us to get into uh, this conversation with Dr. Michael Pucci. Well, Dr. Michael Pucci, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today?
2: Really good. And thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, uh, you are definitely somebody, as as I was thinking through what Think Global is going to be all about, uh, you're definitely one of the advisors, one of the people that have really kind of shaped uh, my own thoughts and shaped the, the thoughts of a lot of people. You are A professor, you are a development professional, uh, but some of our audience uh, is probably not uh, too familiar with you and your background. Uh, Would you be willing just to introduce yourself to our audience and and really kind of how God led you into the global nonprofit space?
2: Yes, definitely. I'm Dr. Michael Pucci. Um, My wife Adele and I are based in Rwanda. Uh, We see ourselves as development educators, So we're passionate about education. I would say probably the best way to learn about who I am is kind of somehow how I think really. And I'm passionate about different modes and contexts of learning uh, in order to really transform people's understanding and engagement. Um, So we've been very lately kind of focused on uh, direct economic development with uh, women in Rwanda and getting them trained and into jobs and and impacting their livelihood that way uh, through competencies, education, and coaching, um, which is one of our latest passions, really. Um, Coaching kind of in a nutshell is making sure that people's lives and actions and plans and goals align with their values and their faith. So that really makes my socks go up and down because basically that is transformation. That is, um, if we invite people into these conversations where they reflect on whether or not these things are aligned, whether it's at an organizational level or an individual level, then their awareness kind of creates this catalyst for, for change and then our job as educators and, and chiefly coaches is just to bring to awareness, the tools that they already have, um, to, to do that. And, and not just tools, but resources in a broader sense, chiefly the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, the word and community and everything you have in, in your culture and everything that you have in your person that God's gifted you with and et cetera, et cetera. So, when we see that happen, we, we can use the capital T transformation word. Um, it's the name yeah. of our organization, transformational initiatives. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about anything that that intersect where, um, the way we learn or, um, raise awareness or coaching can have an impact, um, in the in the space of development and in the space of of transformational outcomes in people's lives, so.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. And and Dr. Pucci, I can definitely say for you and for Adele, you know, you are people that really put flesh on the exact things that you're saying and the things that you teach. And, you know, that's really, and and have impacted so many people, you know, from various countries. course not only working in east africa but you guys have worked in southeast asia as well really kind of have a pulse not only on development as a sector or education as a sector but uh really specifically focused you know on on the world you know on different nations on on what what it means for different nations to to, to move forward and, you know, how God is calling them. I I would love to just kind of hear from you, you know, why do you think it is important for Christians to not only think about just their own family and their own community, but really consider the needs of people globally? Why is that important?
2: Well, I mean, this comes back to, in a way, your core biblical foundation passage, right? James 1 27 where um, true worship of God is a father is looking after. That's the Greek word, looking after the orphan and the widow. And I would throw in a whole list, of course, of other kinds of very vulnerable right. people who experience, you know, powerlessness and in, in other forms, slaves, yeah. etc. Um, but but in a way, the the orphan and the widow are the type um, and. The second half of the verse is is as important. Um, And some people think it's an afterthought because it's like often translated as and uh, keep yourself unspotted from the world. But it's actually to keep yourself unspotted from the world. So if you want to be in the world, but not of it, if you want to keep out of temptation, then really the mode of being in the world is to get yourself... So messed up and entangled in the pressures and the daily, you know, to to look after widows and orphans in their pressure, in their narrow straits, is the Greek there. So you're like, this is, you know, this is the absence of horizons, the opposite of options, the powerlessness that people feel in those, in those contexts of, of poverty and helplessness. The, the widow and the orphan are the embodiment of that. You don't, not only don't have the resources, you don't have the people we are losing sleep of, about you, you know? And so if you want to be a true worshiper of a God who is the father of our whole family in Jesus Christ, then it just, it just flows naturally that your family is now perceived beyond blood. So, I mean, that in our class, we, we often talked about those onion rings, you know, the. What's, what's natural is, okay, if you divide things according to how people pay attention to things and invest in, in things, you know, at the center of this onion is self. And you're like, yeah, you know, everybody takes care of themselves and nobody hates themselves roughly. You know, and, you know you're looking out, out for number one. And then, you know, the next ring out is family. And then maybe your village or your context or your culture, it, it you know, expands out your nation you know, and you can, your religion and you have this series of concentric circles. um, And we encounter Christ kind of as one of these natural people with natural affections. What happens with people who are closer in, in those circles is they get preference. Family gets preference again, ahead of, 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 you know, someone who's not family. Uh, someone of your own country gets preference above a, an alien, a foreigner, etc., um, and and not necessarily a just preference. Often, very unjust, I just ask which mother is not going to give her child the very best opportunity in school, you know, whether it involves elbowing out somebody else or not. Right? It, it, it isn't about just; it's it's about preference. So then Jesus comes into this scene and we get the idea that okay well well, jesus wants to be lord of my life so we make him the center oh yeah we get it but he's not just doing that he's not just saying by the way i get to be the middle and i'm the center now i get to rewrite the order of your rings any any time and in any order as i see fit because i am i'm the father i am the center of this this new family so And then, you know, God is not saying, by the way, there won't won't be such thing as family anymore. Family will be finished, you know, or there's not going to be anything called law anymore. On the contrary, Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And I came to fulfill family and not to abolish it. So what what he's suggesting then is go look out, look out of the furthest rings, the ones that are excluded, exploited, so marginal you know, they are the, the alien, the widow, the orphan. They have no one that's taking care of them with that level of privilege and preference that's unjust. And I want you to treat them as if they were your family. He's not saying treat everybody equally, love the world, love all humanity. No, he's saying treat someone who's out there and bring them in, into the family. Yeah. That's the picture that I have of what it needs to be thinking about the family of God globally. It isn't, you know, it isn't airy fairy like where people love humanity but nobody in particular. It doesn't work that way, right? right. They, they, you know, we need to be uh, going out uh, to the margins and then not just staying out there, but bringing them into our, yeah. ourselves, our very selves, and our very families. So that's why I think James one twenty seven is 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 the model. It is. There's no other pattern to think about what it is for God to say well done to us. You know, the, all you're doing, all your activities, everything you're trying to accomplish in the world and, and make it better is on the model of a, a familial model. It's longitudinal investment in, in other people's lives where, you know, you lose sleep. Um, it's contrary to what kind of the Western world and certainly America is, is spends its time doing, which is you know, try to divest itself from familial obligations, right? If you're, by the way, if you're not obligated, you're not in relationship, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. so if you feel obligated, and you, that's, it makes you really uncomfortable. I don't want to be dependent on anybody or anybody depend on me. Like, well, then you're not in a family. You don't even know what the word means. So, you know, and they want to like skip across Real the good. surface of life, like a pond or something. And they're like, no, God's saying like, just sink. You know, you got to get down into the thick of it, into the mess of it so that you feel you know that those pressures that are quote unquote theirs are yours and until that's felt and realized that, that isn't family is it you're not you're not thinking and losing sleep you're not planning and making goals you're not you know praying your eyes out and and you know weeping you're not Bargaining and saying, God, I'd trade my arms at the elbows if this could be different. Yeah. You know, so until it's family. It's so good. So right. family yeah. is family is the model, but it's not just a metaphor. He's, yeah. he's yeah. very serious yeah. and very literal about what he means. And we all know what family means. We really do know what blood is thicker than water means. Now you just bring the blood of Christ into this and change, and, and change it. And you have a you have the potential for something that is not abstract and global but deeply personal <laughs> deeply involving mm-hmm. and engaging. it's probably more so than you have to hear about that but i i you know that that's how i think about a shift to the global love family of christ yeah i
1: love that i love that and you know it actually reminds me of a book i read recently by andy crouch called the life we're looking for talking about we need to stop seeing people and start seeing persons because when we see persons we actually act with the the person that that idea of not just this out there thing but the orphan the widow not just this amalgam 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 of orphans Mm -hmm. and widows that are out there but no there are there are people in our lives and so you know, with that, you know, so much of, so much of this family breakdown in our world, and this is what we talk about, the interconnectedness of everything is caused by poverty, right? Um, in just desperation that comes from poverty in these different parts of the world. Um, and there are various understandings of poverty, right? I mean, you read through different books, you have a book, um, that, that, that addresses it you have when helping hurts which we've talked a lot about on think orphan and now i imagine we will on think global these ideas of these different understandings of what poverty is and the nature of it can we just kind of start this conversation we're going to have on poverty and um, what the church does about it with your understanding on and how you define and describe poverty
2: that's it's a big one um Yep,
1: oh. it is, you know. But we don't have small, little, tiddlywink questions here, you know. We're going <laughs> after it. Let's go. What?
2: What is poverty? Okay. So <laughs> the way I probably go at it is to think about how I'm, how I'm understanding it. Not, you know, step back one one step from it in terms right. of it, not the answer to the question, but the means of knowing. Um, yeah. And I think that that's. That is definitely my take in in owning poverty. Um, that it is a it is a an epistemology, a way of knowing and being in the world that that can reveal what poverty is and and why and why we own it. Why it is a condition that we all share um, and that uh, that others suffer. You know unjustly and disproportionately um so if i think about it like that biblical theology of poverty which is nobody comes to god with a bank account (laughs) starting there you know nobody nobody is coming to god with um something that they can leverage or Or have that protects them and serves them and in which they can trust there is only God and God is the source of all all good and 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 is love Um, and he made a world that's obviously um, bent now because of because of sin Um, and in that poverty we are seeing the expression of the lack or the you know the emptiness, the shadow of what ought to be there. So we see God as the authority on what it, what our condition is. So that that would be the second thing is that I think um, if I'm going to to be earnest about going about learning about poverty or understanding what it really is and what it, what it means experientially for other people, um, and maybe pray that God would awaken a sense of its honest presence in my own person um then i think that that's a that's an authority relationship so i i have to come to poverty with a posture of poverty i have to come to it and say god you're the big thing i'm not i'm not the the knower i'm not the scientist who's going to put you under a microscope or your world under a microscope and move you about i'm the small thing and you are the big thing and you're going to move me about um and i think that, that that experience of that being moved about by god to clarify what poverty is and means is very painful for one it's a it's a trauma it's a a trauma inducing reality um to see the kind of dehumanizing uh opposite of what God intended, uh, effective in the world, powerful in the world, um, and so that encounter is, I think, is, I think, necessary. I think so. W- when we went about this, and, and we're looking, at, you know, at the next generation of development workers and how we can engage differently, and you know, I, I just leaned heavily on the the spiritual disciplines in the sense because, in a way they also teach us by taking away something they don't give us they don't give us some added to the, you know statistics or something like that and, um so that oh and now I, can, I now understand how poverty works as if it were just you know exploring a, a mechanism or something in the world um the spiritual disciplines are given to us in the christian tradition so that we can participate and no so no by participation by and it's not in depth participation but it is it is a sign um, and a sign mode of engaging confession prayer silence submission solitude renunciation um, watching simplicity fasting these are all uh, disciplines of privation they take something away and they all happen to correspond with one aspect of poverty, which is lack and hunger and anxiety and disparity and alienation and exploitation and exclusion and voicelessness and you know powerlessness. So the disciplines are what bring us to a place where we can have a conversation with God about a condition, a condition in the world that we are Responsible for, which is part of what we mean by owning up to poverty, owning our responsibility for for poverty in the world. Um, you know, a lot of our engines and systems in the world create a lot of garbage. Just and you know, but we export our garbage heap just outside the city, so we don't have to live in it. Um, and that's true spiritually, and that's true socially. Um, so we're yeah. we're offshoring our the waste of our own spiritual poverty. And and to, to come to terms with that is is, is necessary is, is owning up. Um, but in that process something else happens, I think. And that's an owning in terms of an identity, um, and an identification with. So beyond kind of just solidarity, you know, I'm with you, brother, in your poverty, um, to identify as as someone whose, whose poverty is you prepared for God to heal. And expose, um, not necessarily in that order, right? But then, then, what we're doing is we're saying, you know, we, we are, we are with the poor, not in a, you know, support role, but we are with the poor because we are the poor, and our yeah. our poverty are just as uh, intractable although they're not often as physically or mentally crushing as physical poverty, economic poverty, exploitation, etc., So I think that this is kind of where I would go. So it doesn't give you like a neat definition, but what it says yeah. is like you You really want to know, then that's a journey. Um, it's a journey that, you know, I can't even think, midway through, you know, thinking about when uh, just university students, kids really were encountering human trafficking in Thailand in our programs or um, genocide in Rwanda, you know, and I'm I'm just watching people break break, uh, because of the encounter. Um, And I remember one time very specifically where a young girl was just sobbing broken you know rightly broken uh at what was happening and I was just calling out to God and saying am I I supposed to be really doing this like is this how how is uh causing trauma helpful God you know like are you sure this is what you wanted me want me to be doing and a couple things happened there um that that made it right. For one, I I, I turned and, and uh, one of the survivors of the genocide who was locked up in a church and was one of the very few survivors that weren't slaughtered inside, she was uh, a guide at that site. Um, and she uh, took the young student and just kind of pulled her to her bosom and started comforting her. <laughs> so if you wanted to flip things, um, you know, you, you see the the work of God healing through comfort by a victim or someone we would categorize as this is a victim. They shouldn't be comforting some Western student who has, has everything or whatever. But the trauma is real and the comfort was real. And then I couldn't, you know, I'm supposed to wrap this whole thing up. It's the end of a particular class and I guess I was supposed to pray, but I, I, had, I had nothing. So I called on Pastor, Pastor Anastas there and he went through the genocide. And he had like the shortest prayer ever, like a Jesus wept kind of prayer. And he just said, I mean, he, first he paused for like two whole minutes and then he just said, it happened. And yeah. I had my answer. You know, I think, you know, the encounter with this these things, these poverty as realities. I would I would love it to not be that way, right? But we can't start there. And to pretend or ignore or stick our heads in the sand or ear, fingers in our ears, that's not how that's not how that's going gonna go. So the call to encounter poverty, which is a better way than defining poverty, I think and ends up messy, uh, yeah, you know, and and there's no guarantee it goes one way or the other as well. I mean, you don't know yeah, totally. you know how it's going to be.
1: Yeah. You know, and there's so much there. I mean, man, that's like, as you, you know, I mean, you did an entire semester class with that question. Right. Um, but I think one of the, so a couple of the things that you really hit there, um, that we've talked a lot about in the, the past however many uh, episodes we've done already on the fact that it's not just material, right? Like, and that's what I think most people listening to this show probably are going to go. Yeah, of course. Amen. But I think it's so important for us to remind people when we're talking about poverty, that it is so much more than material poverty. And when we see that it brings us into the equation, it's, it's not just them. It is an us, because we all have poverty and when i asked that question it was loaded yes but it was also loaded in the context of the family the family breakdown in our world is not just a material poverty thing it's a spiritual poverty it's a brokenness of relationship it's a brokenness of community it's a brokenness of all these other things that go into the different types of poverty i love that you started with When we cannot go to God with any bank account or with anything, we are all in spiritual poverty. And without God giving us everything, we have nothing, right? And I think in the context of our relationships with each other, how can we help each other in? bringing each other out of poverty. And that goes into this, really, the next thing we want to talk about here is there There really is an obvious reality that poverty is no respecter of persons, especially when you look at it in the context of not just material and the people of all creeds, ethnicities, everyone will experience and has experienced some sort of poverty. Um, and there is real material poverty, too, right? So while Christians are called to care for the needs of people, there is a special focus on the way that we love one another, right? The two greatest commandments, right? Love God, love one another. And you write in Owning Poverty that we in the body of Christ should be very concerned that we cannot feel our finger being smashed in Sudan, our foot broken in Burma, our thumb starved of lifeblood in Bolivia. Can you unpack this disconnect of the body of Christ um, and what we can do to amend this disjointedness with our brothers and sisters in other countries? And I would even say in other communities in our own countries.
2: Yeah, I liked I liked how you framed the response to poverty uh in a way mirrors and echoes right the the multifaceted nature of it and if it were just economic we could just throw money at it if it were you know mm-hmm. just social we could do you know we could do something there but it is it, it is multifaceted um which also means that it isn't and i think this is a failure of a lot of people thinking about it as a as an economic uh, reality, or as uh, you know, human flourishing as as only economic uh, reality. Um, that's just a, an infection of the current time that we live in. People have not thought that way for very long, um, and there, you know, and our chief response, uh, our power when someone is powerless in social poverty, is inc- is incredibly um, redeeming in the relational. Right. And I think so, if you can just imagine a, a smile, uh, an embrace, um, you know, uh, a welcome. Um, so, I just, you know, saw today that there was, you know, a bunch of cities in America now are getting overwhelmed with the um, migrant populations that are kind of flooding in and they're they're not prepared for it. And everybody's kind of has this attitude of like, well, somebody should do it. We shouldn't be doing the federal government's job and someone, someone else should be doing something right. Or this should be a matter for professionals. It's like an industry that should be taking care of this. Right. And I think that's, that's a failure of what the way we think about our responsibility as members of the family, the body of Christ, because The response is familial, and that means that yeah, you can't take the whole thing on, but you know, your response should be something that resembles the familial relationship that God calls us to, and even if that's just extending your tent pegs to add one to your family, or you know, partnering with another family, like there's there's a way to go, Uh, you know, instead of displacing the parents of some other some other uh, country partner with them help them where they need that help um you know this god's given us a great chance to some of them are coming right to your doorstep (laughs) you can be global by just sitting still is they're coming 70 million displaced people and our response opportunity is here to be familial there's plenty of space there's plenty of resources plenty of family there's plenty of love to go around in the body of christ so this kind of fear factor and then the kind of offshore you know someone else's problem or professionalize it outsource it to somebody else you know who can do it right or whatever is is nonsense it is something that everybody needs to to own in the in the body of christ um but you raised the issue about the kind of like not feeling though which is which is a is a different point and i think it's probably a prerequisite in some sense to to care. Right? and I used to have endless debates about well what you know what kind of statistics do you have to pile up before someone cares? Um, and that's you know it's a wrongheaded question you know because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you can s- literally stack bodies you know uh, yep. suffering yep. to the ceiling and no one's going to care if they don't care already right and so god god does interesting things in us and i i'm not convinced that one comes before the other you know but but taking care of and caring about are both transformative one can be the cause and the other can be the result and vice versa god could say um you know, lay a burden on your heart and then you cannot sleep because you care about something and then you start to do something and you don't know what the heck you're doing. So you make a lot of mistakes, but then you learn why, because you won't care about the outcome, right? I don't know anything about teenage kids, got some in my house now, so (laughs) how do I make sure that, that, that I honor God and that. They get the outcomes that that I really believe it, it, in, you know, and so I learn because I care, right? Yeah. Sometimes it happens the other way around, where God says, "Here, take care of this for a second. Just just hold this for a second. <laughs> and as you're taking care of it, you know, you had nothing. You had no. There was nothing. No needle movie. No passion. Blah blah blah. All this kind of. Oh, where your perfect passion aligns with God's will, that's your. That's your destiny or whatever, all that's nonsense. Usually you're in the thick of it, doing something that by obligation, familial obligation, once again, and then you realize much later on, you're in love with it. You can't not do it. You can't stop doing it. Right? And so that's that's that kind of points to like how God can work to move things um, beyond a, a apparent apathy. Um, but but I do yeah. I do point in the book to maybe there's a deeper spiritual issue, um, and that, that that reference you quoted earlier is really um, uh, a passage that talks about um, uh, about Hansen's disease. Paul Wilson Brand did a lot of research on Hansen's disease, which is leprosy, um, and he pioneered surgical work. And I think probably before him, most people thought leprosy. At the causal level, was rotting flesh. Uh, your flesh rots. You, you, you have leprosy. So it's this kind of thing. But actually, what was discovered is that the the bacteria attacked the nervous system. So what you don't have is feeling in your extremities, and then eventually it moves up into your into your core. So you can have So you don't lose a finger because it rots off. You lose a finger because you bump it, you step on it, you smash it in the door and you didn't feel it. And your body didn't respond like it always responds to pain. Um, He says something really interesting. He says, from pain deprived people, I have learned that I cannot easily enjoy life without the protection provided by pain. So pain lets us know when something's wrong. A pain free life, which some people pursue as their ideal. is actually a condition that facilitates death and decay. So when I started thinking about that in the in the spiritual sense, then the lack of feeling, the inability to feel something that is in the body of Christ, and once again, not just a metaphor, but we are spiritually connected in Christ. I believe in the communion of right. saints, I believe in the body of Christ, which I am I am part of. And if I don't feel what is happening in the body of Christ, then I probably have spiritual leprosy. I can't feel Mm. something there. Now, you know, to to turn that back on, I mean, mean, think about when Jesus healed people from leprosy and the like, like taking a drink from a water hose, right. It would have been an over sensation of indifferentiated feeling. You know, I had frostbite as a kid once and you run it under cold water and it feels hot and, you just feel everything and nothing at all, right? And so I think that if you have been living under a condition of outsourcing responsibility, not really being honest about your own condition of poverty, uh, you know, avoiding proximity to those in, others in poverty, pretty soon you would you would cease to feel um, what what right. is real, what is a real condition, like there's damage and you don't feel it. That's, that's the illness, not, not there, you know, Mm -hmm. not that Mm -hmm. that that is happening, but that you don't feel it. So,
0: well, and I think especially considering as you said earlier, poverty is something that is intrinsic to all of us. So if we're not feeling it in somebody else, who's a part of the same body, it's exactly right. What you're saying is that that is the illness itself, you know, and, and when I think about poverty, I don't I don't merely just think like, okay, we we know this from when helping hurts and from walking with the poor, that the most um, kind of defunct way of looking at poverty is just poverty as material deficit. We know even that is more symptomatic of broken relationships in a lot of ways. And even as we think through the relationships and how it pertains to being the family of Christ. Uh, you know, you, you again can kind of see those fissures and those breakdowns. I'm, I'm definitely reminded of, um, going off of what you were saying as well, Dr. Pucci of, um, for people that are familiar with voices of the poor, which was, um, which was a great Study a lot of qualitative uh, uh, work put into that. Uh, I believe that was by the World Bank that did that. But when you listen to people, and I don't have any of those quotes right in front of me, but when you listen to those those people that are describing poverty, um, the thing that comes across most is uh, the psychological effects, and the emotional effects, and the relational effects, and Even more so than the economic effects, which are which are acknowledged and are certainly a part of it, but it it kind of gets back to even as we think through, you know, as you said, you know, seventy million displaced people throughout the world, and many of them uh, are coming right to our doorstep, uh, especially here in the U.S., our southern uh, southern border, um, but not just there. I mean, you're you're in Rwanda. I mean, there's been plenty of displaced people into the Congo and vice versa and people going down to Burundi. And so displacement of people coming from other countries is just uh, almost commonplace. And it's when the church is, um, is kind of almost uh, like improperly delegating that to other bodies is, is where things really go sideways because well, we recognize the important roles of government, and we could have a, and we'll have conversations on the podcast around advocacy and the role that that has for Christians. At the end of the day, God did make us the ones that are to be caring for orphans, widows, strangers, aliens, the oppressed, the the enslaved, and and so forth. So it's not something that we are to outsource, and yet uh, that is both a cause and perhaps an effect of the poverty itself. You know, one of the things that, that I know I have found to be true, and you know, Phil from your work in Honduras and Dr. Pucci, your work in various countries, um, is the tremendous value, really, of of connecting with people and working alongside other people that are coming from other national backgrounds and cultures and, and so forth, you know, and this is something that, that, that you speak to as well. And really, um, you know, it, sometimes if we're only emphasizing a singular thing rather than a diversity, mm-hmm. we we're going to, we're going to get, well, I mean, you say it best in your own. So you write in God's good design, one quickly recognizes that in order for growth to continue to be and to do good, it must have boundaries. Unchecked growth quickly ceases to be good, not only for those threatened by it, but even for the one growing. In the body, the unchecked growth of cells is cancer. In a garden, unchecked growth is weeds. In economics, it is monopoly. In leadership, corruption. In society, lawlessness. In agriculture, monoculture. And in personal morality, it's trespass. And and I really kind of think, uh, and Dr. Pucci, you can kind of steer me if if I'm taking this too many directions. But I kind of think in two ways, along these lines. One, when we kind of look at global development, um, you know, we talk a lot about markets and and you know, if we have, you know, unfettered markets, then that will lift people out of poverty. And and actually, there has been great success in terms of, you know, uh, enterprise that has helped people get out of out of poverty. So that's true. And at the same time, within the global development space, there's a hard critique on capitalism and, um, and some of that might be warranted. So then you kind of get into boundaries, regulation, and so forth. But what I also think about in this quote, and one of the things that you've taught about, is that we don't want a monoculture. We don't want just a singular thing. We want there to be diversity. So can you just kind of speak a little bit to that, just kind of the both the roles of diversity, as well as the, the role of boundaries, you know, in kind of promoting a, a flourishing society.
2: Yeah. I'll touch on the, the, the latter first. I think. So if you think about it in terms of horizons, this is a nicer word than boundaries. Americans really don't like boundaries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no we don't
2: <laughs> really really don't you know they don't, they don't like obligations that are like boundaries they don't like you're to told what to do um, but think about it in terms of just the limits of a healthy as I said body or garden or, and the limitedness is the thing that kind of transcribes or circumscribes the nature of the relationship, right? It is the it is the limits that is part of what's making the thing itself. So in a marriage, you have a vow and you have the limits uh, binding two people together, you know, as one as one body, um, and you have a man and a woman that basically uh, become one, but also retain their you know uniqueness and diversity. So male and female, God created he them. So he creates them and separates them into male and female and then brings them back together again. What a weird thing, right? But that's an important and significant sign. Uh, it wasn't sufficient to tell the nature of the love of God without that Adam and then separated and then brought back together in the unity that preserves diversity because they're still both male and female, but together. So I think that there's, there's that, that model obviously is a, is a pattern that we shouldn't be eradicating difference. We shouldn't be, you know, we're not the Borg, you know? (laughs) So the, the goal is not uniformity, or conformity or sameness at all. God likes diversity. Look at creation. Well, before mm-hmm. we messed it up, look at creation, right? In mean, the patches of it, still demonstrate its ridiculous amount of diversity and, you know, effluence and foliation. Uh, you know, it's just, it's plethora, right? And yet, it is. it is also you know under the spirit that hovered over the waters and is ordered and comes under the god of creation so I, you know i i think about it in that, in those same ways like you know what a really depressing prospect if we all have a single culture a monolithic culture uh, in, in eternity that isn't that isn't and never was the plan and our responsibility as christians is really to preserve Diversity. So and a lot of people don't think about that. They think about, okay, you know, I got to save souls. As if those were abstract things, right? Airy, floaty, Hallmark Channel, kind of ghosty, touched in the head by an angel kind of nonsense, right? Theology that I don't know where we get. Everything is bodied. Everything is bodied in a culture. Jesus, you know, was a Jew, is a Jew. <laughs> There's a Jew up in heaven, <laughs> right? It's, this is the particularity of the scandal of that, right? But if you take the approach like, well, there must be something that God really loves about this, then you actually have a responsibility uh, as a member of a, of a strong or dominant culture to back off, right? Yeah. So, you know, like in a garden, if I'm, I've got, you know, ivy going everywhere, I want fertilities. So and there are really fragile little things that have to be chopped back, and I can get the sheep in there and chew it down, or I can hoe myself and and clear the space for that little thing that can only flourish in certain conditions to be and not not be. Right. Right. And so that's that's the nature of it. It's not a passive exercise for Christians as stewards of what God has entrusted, and we just kind of like go, we go with the flow, we go you know we're, we're floating downstream or we're we're crushing up against uh, the you know the weak things in the world just because we are we have numbers and th- th- that doesn't give us a right to be more um, our it's like saying McDonald's you know has healthy food because it's everywhere it's utterly, this is an utter disconnect, right? The, the, the values of healthy food have nothing to do with success of McDonald's, right? right? As a business, we right. all know this, right? So, the ubiquity of certain cultures on the planet right now do not mean that what they do for people is good just because they're right. everywhere. So, that, that also kind of creeps into the answer about capitalism. Like, I, that's how I feel about it. I don't think that it's doing for humanity the good that a diverse set of systems would do. Um, And I think that one of the things that strong things can do is to operate in powerlessness. In other words, don't exercise your power. Sometimes just creating a space with your power so that others can speak, you know, Mm. in that empty space and that silence and that then their culture can thrive and be. And not not be, you know right
0: well i think i think it's almost in human nature to uh, in the fallen human nature to take power and then assert power but that isn't the that isn't the path of of christ in fact even the ultimate power is not something that he seek to hold on to right uh, as, as paul wrote so uh, i i mean i think there's so much in there you know and and when you were talking about diversity, I was thinking recently, you know, when we are um, almost mandating that somebody ascribe to not just, you know, our theology, but even kind of our expression of that theology or our cultural expression, um, so much is lost. I I was listening to something yesterday where somebody was recounting um, Gandhi's uh, engagement with Christianity and uh, an honest consideration that he had of taking that as his own faith. And yet what he was coming across was um, people from a European background that were saying, okay, now you have to wear shoes. Okay. Now you have to eat beef, you know, like, like these things that were just not, not in the least bit needed for him to accept the gospel and to follow Christ, but just these things that were coming from another culture and the response from him was, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be an Indian Christian, not a European Christian. And just when we assert uh, cultural power or when we assert uh, any, any, any of these kind of, uh, you know, just our, our culture will grow um, and your culture must, you know, kind of diminish. Uh, it, we, we just lose so much. We lose so much. And, and most more than anything, we lose people you know and and that's just such a terrible approach to cross cultural ministry and yet something that especially for us coming from european backgrounds that is our that is in many ways obviously our legacy and and yeah. not 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 in the least bit good
2: yeah i think this is a, a healthy trend of you know exploring the impact and the impetus and the the kind of almost internal quality of imperialism or colonialism in in development. Um, you know, it's like going to a place and saying, well, what you, what you need to do to grow an apple here, you know, and you land in the middle of a desert and say, what you need to do to grow this apple here is terraform everything, right? Cause this is, it's not going to work unless you, unless we start from, you know, this end of the infrastructure and just remake the entire thing. Whereas the context itself could have life, and life in all its fullness you could have life flourishing there, and you just can't see it because you don't know what life looks like in a desert, you know. So my wife and I stayed in a little uh, Bull's Arrow, 1955, out of, outside of Phoenix, um, Arizona, where Food for the Hungry was, and we were working for them for a time. And uh, but we don't believe in Phoenix; don't believe it should exist, or you know, and so we wanted to kind of like be there, but not there, you know, so make kind of some statements. So we got a little trailer, went out in the desert and stayed out there. And, um, but, you know, watching, watching that world and you, you think of like the, you know, the Palo Verde tree there's the tiniest little leaves. And we had just come from Singapore, which has some of the biggest leaves I've ever seen in my life. And I can shelter under them in a rainstorm. And you have these little pinhead sized leaves. And then you have like all of the branches are green so that every single ounce of you know every single inch of space is doing photosynthesis very efficient it can prune itself when it gets really really hot and it's already really really hot over you know 120 130 degrees a meter off the ground so it can break its own branches off and it grows very slowly so it grows for about 1500 years and it dies very slowly so when it's dying it's it's also a bit of a nursery for, you know, the builds up and, you know, it, it drops these little um, pods and the pods are eaten by rabbits and the coyotes come and eat the rabbits. Um, and and then as it's dying, those saguaro cacti come out and they're only born in the in the dying, in the thousand year dying of a Palo Verde tree. And it shoots down a taproot like 150 meters to find water. and. You know, it puts out a little flower and the Costas hummingbird flies across the, the Gulf of Mexico to come and tank up on that little nectar. And, you, and so you look, if you just, if you pay attention, there's life in context, life in all its fullness. And so to come with an apple tree in mind is what is what development is is still chiefly doing. It has measures of what the good life should be it's it's monolithic as monolithic as agriculture has become as as medicine has become so if we're saying that that god can and delights in the diversity of of cultural a culture but also in the diversity of flourishing in different contexts then then we should be looking for that and we should be protecting it. like it's, it's not going to just it's not going to happen right so another quick story um about stewardship and about protection um the karen people are 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 wonderful earth stewards um and frequently in northern thailand the the government is also complicit in illegal logging right so um so in one of these instances all the lo- you know the trucks went up to log illegally and the entire community of Korean came down and dismantled the bridge over the river, just took it apart and, you know, laid it out nicely. It's not, not conflictual in the sense of like you we know, weren't throwing rocks at anybody here, but when they came down the, the, the mountain with the logs, they're like, we'll put the bridge back together. As soon as you you leave the logs and where it gets around. Yeah. So I feel like as Christians, we should be taking apart some more bridges. You know, it's like we're building the bridges for the invading Roman armies, right? In, in really? little places where languages and cultures have still survived, thanks to Babylon, thanks to the spread and people hiding on mountains and in, in little islands. And thank God for that. So that's, a, that's, a, that's on us, too. You know, as much as we're, we will be held accountable for the destruction of the, the physical creation and, and God's creatures, and the loss of species. We will also be held responsible for the loss of cultures. It, it, this isn't a win. Mono, monoculture right. isn't, isn't helping anybody. And that's what creates these like vast swings and also disparity. You know, So if, if you're on the losing end of this dominant culture, or if you're a subculture or you're in a different culture, then it's not going to be a beneficial scenario to right. be part of global financial capitalism.
0: You're on the losing right. side. Well, no, definitely. And, and, you know, one critique I think within that is a lot of the times when we are talking about specifically within international development and we're talking about um, <clears throat> development, modernization, you know, a lot of these are sometimes just a euphemisms for Westernization. And it's not just a merely, you know, opening up markets to, you know other cultures but also uh an adoption of a singular culture you know um and this is not always the case there are countries where this hasn't been as pronounced as it there is it may be in others and yet you know that's there and there is kind of a a large mechanism i wonder if just in one or two minutes if you could respond i'm just thinking specifically around how global aid is kind of goes about. So according to DevX, uh, the global aid uh, industry is about is is about a $200 billion industry. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you said earlier is we can't just throw if it was merely economic, we could just throw money at it, you know, and, and clearly that's not scratching the itch. I wonder if in just a minute or two, if you could just provide a critique almost of this I mean, the the reality is, we are just throwing money at it. You know, we're throwing a lot of money at it, and and uh, and yet poverty remains intractable in those ways. I mean, why why does that approach fall short in some ways?
2: I honestly think it's more about it's not about the resource; it's about the the mode of engagement. So it is, I mean, it is aiming at specific kinds of, me, you know, measured outcomes. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of drift, you know, even the most missional Christian organizations I've consulted with start with really good intentions. And then they kind of almost want the intentions to be the, the carte blanche, right? So because we have good intentions, don't question whether or not we're doing any good. Right. Didn't we used to have this saying about the path to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, like that's really not enough. Um, But also, you know, without reflective practice, you're not really professional. So you, you can you can have a really large industry and have large numbers of you know uh, flow of revenue or whatever, but that does it's not what makes you excellent in terms of the faith and in terms of transformational outcomes. It is what you measure. Um, the Accord Network is a really great place to to for our listeners to kind of delve into that deeper. There's a lot of there's a I think there's even an action committee that's focused on transformational impact measurement, you know, thinking about kingdom impact in ways that are different than USAID, you know, because it should be different. If it's the same, we have a problem. Like if you think that right. you could just like take one entire system and, you know, just, you know, lay it over the other and say that now it's, now it's Christian. Um, and you're, you're measuring the same things, you're operating in exact same ways. It's the same, you know, and I, and I will encounter people who are in these organizations, and they're frustrated, and they're like, Oh, it's filled with such good Christian people. Yeah, it's not, not the thing. It's like they're beating on a Coke machine and complaining it's not giving them an organic banana. It's like, What what were you expecting this this machine to do? And then they're like, Well, I'll get in there and I'll tool it so it can hold a banana. Yeah, you've got no idea what's behind this thing. This machine right. here is just the front of this thing, and this is a system that has been built to do a certain thing. And that thing is not necessarily the kingdom of God or life in all its fullness, right? So just teasing those things apart is very important. Uh, you know, as, as a note about money and resources, I also want people to realize that in addition, to the, okay, 200 billion in ODA, but there's also about 600 billion in remittances globally, annually. Think about that. So that's really, that's fascinating to me because basically people meet those needs. Families meet the needs. Right. Right. So remittances right. is where somebody sends money to a family members in a different country. Right. So you're talking about a global movement of money. That's three times bigger and, right. and, and growing, uh, you know, and whereas ODA seems to be shrinking. Um, the other one that shrunk a lot in the run up to 2020 was uh, private capital investment. So when you're, Talking about capital movements out of one country and into another in the form of capital investments in local businesses, et cetera, it just dropped like it was you know massive in in 2015 and in the run-up to 2020. So I mean I think that that has to do with people pulling back and you know in times of more crisis and thinking I want better returns, more guaranteed returns, but also isolationism, nationalism. Right. I invest here right. you know instead of there but that was a big right. a big difference. So looking at those three, you you kind of want to think about well the money will you know people will figure out a way and this is what I'm happy about in terms of the advance of direct giving, um, a more small scale more as in the multiplication of smaller scale, uh, financial engagements, right? Globally, and the mechanisms for it with blockchain and other things like that. So you have, you have now, in, in a way, thanks to the pandemic, we have mechanisms for moving money that are a whole lot easier. Um, but again, back to the, is it is it being done in the familiar way? Well, the big money is done in a familiar way. It's remittances. So when somebody in the family needs something, and then somebody else gives them money. So if it was just talking about that, that's effective, right? And giving loans without interest, and you know, things that things that used to be like anathema—you were booted out of the church if you were caught, you know, giving loans with interest—and um, you know, I, 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 it breaks my heart. But I've watched organizations whose sole purpose, whose birth purpose, was to serve the poorest of the poor financially through through loans turn into banks just banks their loan sizes creep bigger because the you know the inefficiencies of so many small tiny little loans and so pretty soon they are not serving the poorest of the poor you know and then they end up going through a crisis and then sure enough city bankers come in and kick out their board and kick out all the people who are you know naive christians who really thought (laughs) that we should be doing the jesus thing instead so you know that's 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 something there's another piece in this puzzle, though, which has to do with the outcomes are not um, aligned with organizational outcomes, right? So the, the USAID and those those big organizations, that's really clear. But even in Christian organizations, you're, the outcomes of, quote-unquote, sustainability, which is kind of in a twisted way, come to mean survivability of the organization, right? Um, that is no longer identical with, doesn't even overlap sometimes with the outcomes that they were born to do uh, called to do um, and I, I have a lot of opinions about that but I would I would suggest well what do we want instead you know what I think we need to start going back towards more temporary and impermanent authorities you know like this authorities built built this bridge like in the New York City system right? So we pulled pull together this authority to build this bridge, they build the bridge and then they dismantle the authority. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do more of that? Right? Because, but you know, we're like fixated on perpetuity and, and perdurance, like we're going to last. And that way we can do more good. No, you just get bigger and bloated and 90% of the income somehow doesn't leave the country you know, and go to the, go to even close to the needs or approximate them. So I I think that all of this is kind of mixed up in, in that, you know, the the nature of the money, bad money drives out good money, Um, but also the nature of the goals and then how you measure those goals. You can't, you can't uh, divorce any of those things. And you got to be uber intentional, even when you just, you know, trip and fall in the mud and fail miserably which i can think of several examples of (laughs) when it just doesn't do the thing you thought it was going to do but you can be honest and say that didn't do the thing thought i was going to do scrap it scrap it for parts and and move on
1: yeah that's there's so much there there's so much there there's a lot of stuff there i've talked to um, a lot of people about lately especially Um, this idea that Every whiteboard that I've ever done as an organizational leader, I look back at five, six years later and I, I just laugh at it because I'm going, God's probably up there going, that, that's cute that you, you know, you thought you knew what you were going to do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not bad without vision, the, the people perish. I get that, but it, it should be God's vision. Right. And just say, God, what is the next breadcrumb that you have for me that I'm going to go follow and let's go follow that. And. And I think that if we were more honest with people, as far as donors in organizations, we'd realize that's what we actually do. Mm. And if we are truly following what the Lord has for us, because he, he promised that, you know, he's the light into our path, the lamp unto our feet, not out into the distances and miles ahead. And so I think that I love that idea. And I think that as we're working with people, Um, it is relational. It is slow. It is messy. It is something that's dynamic. It is something that changes regularly. To hear those remittances, numbers, that's crazy and encouraging all at the same time because we're having people that are helping each other in ways that we know they need and it's done in relationship. And it's as done as we would with our neighbor, not as we would with some unknown thing out there, unknown person out there um, that we're just giving to a thing and an idea as opposed to a human and as a person going back to that person's idea. And with that, for those who are, are think orphan listeners, we usually have two questions here at the end. You know, we're, we're switching things up. Think all bets are off. Now is a new world <laughs> we are entering into. So today we want to just, you know, as you talked about, you, you know, talk about oftentimes we're like beating on a vending machine, wanting something else to come out. Um, and you know, uh, I think that that comes from a frustration that we want to do things that work, right. We want to do things that have results that we dream up in our visions. Um, And, you know, and so you've been doing this a long time and you have a lot of experience in this area and you're not saying you have all the answers. We know that's not the, that's not the case, but what is one thing that you can kind of share with our listeners that one of the things that you've seen work that we can go into and say, how can we do this work better? And what does it look like to start, rather than banging to say, how can we start making changes that will start getting the results rather than having $200 billion go into something and having it almost worse on the other end of it a lot of times?
2: That's a great question. Your, your answer is buried in the question. Um, Cause I just, I think it's a process. I think if we really gave the attention and resources to, uh, professional reflection, um, where we actually ask the questions of alignment is, you know, is this, is this the kingdom of God? You know, it, does it smell like it? Does it look like it? Uh, is this what we really are, have as the expression of our best hopes? Have we stirred the porridge long enough here? Have we really fleshed out what it is that we hope it looks like in the lives of, of people um and if we haven't do that work you know do the work of imagination of you know prophetic imagination to to say not this but but what instead you know um paul paul is big on this it's one of the most powerful kind of emptyings that 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 is just begging to be filled when his when he keeps saying Chosme in his 1st Corinthians passage where he's talking about um, you know, you're uh, married as if you're not married and you're buying things as if you don't possess them and you know, so a, a whole series of Chosme, uh, as if not and you know I think that that has become a, a very redeeming posture for me personally and I've watched it really change organizations when we take and we open up a space and say you know let's look out the window and see where it is and see that it is not good or even if you're just starting something from scratch and god is pointing something out that's not right it's an injustice and it, and you have to say not this you can't start with let's pretend it's a blank slate or let's just do it the way our grandparents did it you have to say not this this is not not there. Uh, but then that open space um, craves to be filled then. And if you make that space and if you intentionally come together as an organization or even reflecting personally as a professional and, and ask yourself about the alignment of your of your faith and your values and your values and their goal and goals and goals and their action plans, you know. And if you if you find that your action plans just came from somebody else, it's probably a bad sign, right? Or if you've just been, this is the way we've always done it. Um, so I think I think that's that's the mode um, that we really carve out that empty space within which God can, you know, help us design new wine skins for the for the new wine of His kingdom, and keep it fresh and forget about sustainability and permanence and legacy and all that nonsense you you could be called to just do something for a very short time focused um the most important thing is the quality of it is it does it reflect the familial pattern that god has given us to love in the family of god It's global
0: that's so good no i i so appreciate that and i think what you're calling us into is being Open to what the Spirit wants to do. We have to be listening to God. We have to be in Scripture. And we have to be in community, and it's from that posture and from that place that we'll know what to do, you know. And and uh, because the Spirit will lead us, um, Doctor Pucci, as we uh, you know have some pivots within this own podcast. I'm so grateful to you uh, for coming on and just sharing with us, uh, not just about poverty and thinking through these kind of larger industry things, but really, what is a Christian posture, uh, you know, as we as we step into this? And how do we emphasize those familial bonds uh, beyond within the body of Christ and, and even extending to our neighbors? So uh, thank you so much for coming on Think Global. And, and thank you uh, for, for all the work that you do to, uh, you. To, to promote God's kingdom around the world.
2: Yes, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I think that uh, our posture is poverty. I think we really don't know. We don't have answers. We don't have resources apart from God. So the sooner sooner we get down to the ground of that reality, the better off we are.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, a few quick notes as we close out this episode. Our Think Orphan listeners are accustomed to Phil and me doing an outro, but we're actually going to skip doing an outro piece going forward as we try to pack everything we can into the interview and get you back to the next podcast in your feed. Two, I had mentioned in the trailer about Canopy International. You guys know that this podcast has been about community and investing in practitioners. Well, we're taking that to another level and being intentional to invest in that direction. So if you head to canopy.international, you can check out a team of global care and global development professionals that are available to support you and your organization with a range of coaching, consultation, training, and fractional work. Whether for you individually or for your whole team, this is a resource for you. You can also join us as a member of our community through Patreon, and this is a new, and I really mean new, platform that we're using, so you can be among the first. Third, uh, in our excitement to pivot and step into this new season of the podcast and the community, we jumped on the name Think Global because it spoke well to what we're doing. It's such a good name that after I released the trailer, we learned that another podcast is using that name. This was totally my oversight I reached out to the others to acknowledge and to ask for their pardon, but in good faith, we will adjust the name of this show slightly to not encroach on other podcasters doing good work. Phil and I just wanted to communicate that so that this devoted listenership is up to speed. This name change is going to be subtle, but it'll be clear, and I promise we'll make sure that no one else is using it. Our listeners know that it's me and it's Phil and the best guests in Christian global nonprofit work, so nothing is changing in that regard. All right, guys, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode of the show, which will be our first 3 Plus 1 episode. Talk to you then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Think Global. If you enjoyed the show, please do three things for us. One, rate and review us online. Two, share it with a friend. And three, join us at canopy.international so you can plug into a community of disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We'll talk to you soon.